It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, September 15th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report covers another day of big labor news before local headlines and your weekend weather forecast. Then, a number of environmental groups head to Sacramento for the West Coast counterpart to New York City's March to End Fossil Fuels. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with one of the climate justice organizers leading the charge at Sunday's event. And KVMR's Felton Pruitt sits down with the founder and president of Nevada City's famous Marching Presidents. Felton's got all the details about Sunday afternoon's Constitution Day Parade. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Another day of big labor news. Nearly 60,000 Kaiser Permanente workers have overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike if there's no agreement in contract negotiations by September 30th. The healthcare workers, most of them in California, are pushing for a 7% wage increase in the first two years of this next contract and a six and a quarter the following two years. Rashad Pritchett cleaned surgery rooms at a Kaiser hospital in Richmond and says the raises are overdue in the wake of the pandemic. You have to do right by the people who have gotten broken their backs for you, worked doubles, slept in their cars because they were scared to bring COVID to their loved ones. In August, a Kaiser spokeswoman said the Oakland-based nonprofit has been bargaining in good faith and is committed to reaching a mutually beneficial agreement. A California appeals court has agreed to hear a challenge to the state's recently adopted solar power rules. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has the details. San Diego's Protect Our Communities Foundation is one of three groups which asked the First District Court of Appeal in San Francisco to intervene. The groups argued the rules do not recognize all the benefits of solar, do not encourage solar adoption, and do not expand solar in disadvantaged communities. Attorney Aaron Stanton says the legal petition asks the court to throw out the decision. I have seen these orders come out with summary denials. One sentence, the court declines to hear the case. Uh, And that's not what happened here. Uh, The court has decided to hear the case and the court will uh, review the commission's net energy metering decision and determine whether it was lawful, which is very exciting for us. The California Public Utilities Commission voted unanimously last December to approve the new rules, which increased the cost of rooftop solar. They took effect in April. For the California Report, I'm Eric Anderson in San Diego. It's the end of an era along the Klamath River. Labor Day weekend was the last time the whitewater rapids on the upper Klamath could be rafted during the summer. A group of antiquated dams are coming down on the Klamath, meaning major changes for the river rafting community. KQED reporter Danielle Venton joined the final trip. To most of us, a flowing river looks smooth, or maybe rough. Maybe it looks fast or slow. But river guides see a lot more than that. Waves and holes pour over. It's like a waterfall. Um, Like uh, people, a lot of kayakers will talk about boofing things, which is like when you get speed off of a drop. Shauna Sims has worked on this river for six years. It being like surfy or munchy or grabby or sticky, you know, and that describes like the characteristics of what that hole was like. She loves the upper Klamath straddling the border between Oregon and California. It's one of the few rivers that cross the Cascade Ranges. Because they're young, these young mountains, and um, 
That's what's really cool about running this river is it's very steep, which creates really fun rapids. The stars of the show are a trio of class four plus rapids that come in short succession. Caldera, Satan's Gate, and Hell's Corner. I was definitely glad to stay in the boat going over all three. The rapids make this river great. But what makes this river weird is that, until a few days ago, it got turned on and off every day. They turn it on in the morning, and it comes out of one of the turbines up at the J.C. Boyle Dam, above the section that we run. And then the operators turn off the flow of water at night. This hydroelectric dam, built in the 50s, is the furthest upstream of four dams now being removed on the Klamath River. This is the last weekend of commercial and private rafting on the upper Klamath on this section because they're taking out the dams. Sims has mixed feelings about this. It's very bittersweet. It's a loss for Sims. While some spring trips may still be possible, those will rely on the right conditions from snowmelt. This is it for summer runs and for a big source of work. I've been guiding out here for a while and I, I really love this river. It feels like a home to me and I'm going to miss this part of like the summer. But it just doesn't really compare to, to what's going to change. She says the gain of a free-flowing river, one that may see salmon returning from the ocean, will outweigh the loss. The Upper Klamath has suffered from unnaturally high water temperatures and from a lack of fish ladders between it and the ocean. Local tribes have been working to improve these issues for decades. We raft on this river all summer, and it just kind of gets warmer and warmer as the summer goes on, and uh, we know it's not nearly as healthy as it used to be. Sim says this sad but glad attitude is the norm in the whitewater community. It was true of the other three guides on the trip, who will shift their focus to working other rivers. It even seemed to be true among the guests. Knowing that this is the last time that we're going to be able to run the river like this, and I wanted to be a part of that history and a part of um, just saying goodbye to it as it is. This was Sarah Sloan's third time rafting on the Upper Klamath. She's from Berkeley and came back for a last hurrah with her son before he leaves for college. He plans to study forestry at Oregon State. I actually spent this morning just um, up above camp looking at the river and thinking about what it all means. She decided it's about letting go and embracing what's next. You know, the turbines come out, we, we lose the control, but that's sort of the metaphor for life. So, amid the sadness was a real sense of celebration. At the pullout, our guides, Carly, Dean, Micah, and Shauna, brought out champagne, and we toasted to the river's past and to its more hopeful future. Everybody step in as far as you can. <laughs> the timeline for the last dam to be removed is by the end of 2024. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton on the Klamath River. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and adult and children's health systems working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. 
And that is the California Report for Friday, September 15th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Christopher Beal, and Catherine Monahan. Our producers are Izzy Bloom and Keith Mizuguchi. And our senior editor is Angela Corral. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. The Sacramento Bee reports that three people were found dead inside an Arden Arcade apartment complex this afternoon following reports of a shooting suspect being holed up inside a building with multiple people. Sacramento County Sheriff's officials say they received a 911 call around 11 a.m. reporting a shooting inside one of the Howe Avenue apartments. Sacramento County Sheriff's Office spokesman Sergeant Amar Gandhi says deputies responded to the reported shooting and learned there might be up to three people inside the apartment. Sheriff's officials initially reported that the suspected shooter may be holding a woman against her will in a possible hostage situation. A sheriff's SWAT team and negotiators were called to the scene but were unable to make any contact with the suspect. Gandhi says the SWAT team breached the apartment's front door and found the three dead people inside. As of yet, no identities of victims or the shooter have been released. Gandhi says the sheriff's office will release more information when it becomes available. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, known to most as CAL FIRE, is urgently warning residents to cease their use of unmanned aircraft systems, commonly called drones, in firefighting airspace. When drones breach firefighting airspace, this is called an incursion. And according to the Fire Protection Department, 2023 has seen six drone incursions on CAL FIRE operations so far. These incursions waste precious and pivotal time, causing the temporary suspension of critical aerial firefighting operations. All aircrafts, including drones, are explicitly prohibited from entering wildfire areas due to temporary flight restrictions issued by the Federal Aviation Administration, unless they're operated by an agency directly involved in wildfire suppression efforts. In fact, CAL FIRE's Staff Chief of Tactical Air Operations says the danger of flying drones near wildfire cannot be overstated. When drones are detected near wildfires, fire response agencies ground their aircrafts to mitigate the risk of mid-air collision. Consequently, this delay in airborne response poses a significant threat to the safety of firefighters on the ground, residents, and properties in nearby communities. It's also illegal in most cases, with civil penalties reaching into the tens of thousands and criminal prosecution possible. Now let's take a look at your forecast from the National Weather Service. The autumn equinox is right around the corner on September 23rd, which means leaves will begin to change color, temperatures will get cooler, and days will turn to night much earlier. So despite warm temperatures seeming to still signal summer, cooler days are headed our way relatively soon. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 62 degrees. Saturday, sunny with a high near 88. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 61 degrees. Sunday, sunny with a high near 83. Sunday night will be mostly clear with a low around 58 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 45 degrees. Saturday, sunny with a high near 77. A 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 2 p.m.
Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 45. That chance of showers and thunderstorms remains before 11 p.m. Sunday, mostly sunny with a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m. and a high near 77. Sunday night still sees that chance of showers and thunderstorms. It'll be partly cloudy with a low around 44 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 60 degrees. Saturday, sunny with a high near 90. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 58 degrees. Sunday, sunny with a high near 85. Sunday night will be mostly clear with a low around 59 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up ahead, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Alonco Zlatar, one of the climate justice organizers behind Sacramento's version of the March to End Fossil Fuels. Bay Area and Sacramento-based climate justice organizations took inspiration from New York City's March, which will take place concurrently as a kickoff to Climate Week. Keep it tuned as Claudio gets the details on Sunday's West Coast Climate Justice Collaboration. Climate justice advocates from multiple Central and Northern California organizations plan to gather in Old Sacramento this weekend to call on state and federal leaders to declare a climate emergency. I spoke to Ilanka Slatar of the Oil and Gas Action Network to learn more. We are gathering in Old Sacramento at the corners of Front and K Street this Sunday, September 17th at 11 a.m. As our West Coast counterpart to the March to End Fossil Fuels, which is taking place at the same time in New York City, this is part of a global day of action. The United Nations is gathering in New York, and it's really the first time that they're actually calling on nation states to transition away from fossil fuels. In all of the past agreements and gatherings, they've really fallen short of calling out fossil fuel burning as the main issue that we need to tackle in order to begin the transition away from fossil fuels and from climate disaster. So we're really excited that this new direction from the United Nations is clearly identifying the core issue of our time and the solution, which is to face out fossil fuels. When I asked her why she thought California should be part of the conversation, she pointed out that our state produces more oil than most. A lot of people don't realize that the United States is actually the largest producer of oil and gas in the world. We produce more oil than Saudi Arabia, than Russia. And within the U.S., California is the seventh largest oil producing state within the U.S. In California, we're actually producing a lot of oil. We are actually refining a lot of oil that comes in from all over the Pacific coast. So we're really a major player in oil and gas. Although it's a serious topic, Ilanka says the event is about fun and education. This action is going to be really family friendly. It's like kind of a carnival festival. So we're going to have games, we're going to have art, a giant puppet show, a flash mob. There's going to be singing and dancing, as well as speakers from different aspects of the climate crisis and solutions. It's going to be a really educational and approachable event where you can come and learn about what's going on in our state and in our community and how that plugs into the larger context of the battle against fossil fuels and climate change. 
Nevada City hosts Constitution celebrations this weekend. Out of all the festivities, the famous Marching Presidents Parade may just be the most popular. KVMR's Felton Pruitt has all the parade details up ahead. And keep it tuned to hear which KVMR broadcaster participates in the parade, dressing as President Herbert Hoover. We're talking with the president for the presidents, David Sparky Parker. He is the founder and president of the famous Marching Presidents, who will be marching down Broad Street for the 36th year this coming Sunday during Constitution Day. Thanks for joining us, David. Well, thank you, Felton, for uh, giving me this chance to tell the world about our one-of-a-kind group. Uh, we've had enough time to research, to look around. They might People might have Lincoln, and they might have a few, but we got them all. We got all the First Ladies, and even have Marilyn Monroe, and uh, a few Secret Service agents. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to our stroll down uh, Broad Street here in Nevada City, California, and this will be the 57th. Constitution Day Parade, and I should make note on the parade is, I personally think it's the only Constitution Day Parade in America, but definitely west of the Mississippi River. It's a wonderful time. There's going to be uh, floats and other things, but the highlight of it, of course, is when you have all 50 presidents march down Broad Street, and they have their wives with them as well. Well, I'll do a little correction. There's 46 presidents, actually. Oh, that's true. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that uh, Biden is 46. Is that correct? That's correct. And everybody gets to bring their wife with them, though, because everybody gets a plus one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First ladies count very big in our organization. How did this all come about, David? The parade had its roots with Masonic Lodge here in town and uh, Colonel Bill Lambert is the founder of the parade. He was the head of the lodge here and had wonderful Masonic participation, busloads and busloads that would come up. And uh, this is in uh, 1988 is when I restarted the presidents. And uh, I literally was looking for something that a local group could participate in. And this is factual. I woke up in the middle of the night, sat straight up and blurted out, Famous marching presidents. <laughs> and uh, it just grew from there. How do you go about finding and getting people to be the specific president? Like our buddy Rick is going to be Donald Trump. That's Rick Ewald, of course. Rick Ewald, yeah. Well, we recruit members and we try to maintain them in time. It's kind of, but the real star of that is Sharon Kennedy. She's a ferocious recruiter. She's probably been with us for 20-some years, and without her uh, really hard work, uh, I don't think we would exist today. But And we have a lot of returns. Actually, Frank Chizik, who's president of Cleveland, and I are, are uh, founding members, and still we're the only two that have been to every event in 30, uh, 36 years. In the last couple of years, we've been really trying to generate younger participants, and that really means keenly. 30-somethings to 40-somethings, and we've been successful at it because, well, we're, some of us are starting to age. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking with David Sparky Parker. He's the founder and president of the famous Marching Presidents who will be walking down Broad Street this Sunday during Constitution Day. David, I understand that there's a KVMR celebrity uh, amongst them as Herbert Hoover. Chris Town, he's Herbert Hoover. I think he's been with KVMR for like 35 years or something like that. I might be a little off, might be 30. 
But yeah, he's doing Herbert Hoover. And we're celebrating the only American president as of yet to have lived in Nevada City. He was a young engineer and he he took a break from Stanford to spend uh, a summer here uh, being a, a geologist or whatever specialties. He wasn't a miner or anything like that. And he actually just stayed up on Boulder Street. He was in a house that uh, years later, a good friend of mine would, would own. It's kind of interesting. Do you remember what year it was that Herbert Hoover was living in Nevada City? No, but it was before he was president. He was fairly young. He was probably in his uh, early 20s or, yeah, early 20s, I'd say. Do you want to throw out a couple other names of people that are doing presidents? Yeah, John Christensen, who is a, most people know him for all the hard work he does in the Nevada County Narrow Gauge Museum. He's for the man responsible for number five to actually show up here on the territory. And you can probably hear it below its whistle on Sunday mornings these days when they steam it up. He's our George Washington, and he returns. He was a George Washington way back uh, in, uh, he was our second George Washington way back in the, like 1990, probably. Karen Chizik, she's a former superintendent, Pleasant Valley, uh, I believe, and uh, one of our Colonel Lambert Award winners. She's been with us from day one. Has there ever been a fight between the presidents during their march down Broad Street? No, don't encourage them. Yeah, I was going to say, because you have Republicans and Democrats walking side by side. You know, there could yeah. be some, you know, a little a jousting here or there. Uh, no, but we, uh, during uh, the Bill Clinton, we had the Monica Lewinsky march uh, with us. <laughs> and uh, we were pelted uh, somewhat with um, the liquid drinks from the National Hotel balcony. It wasn't the National Hotel pe- people themselves, but there were people up there doing that. And, and the Union newspaper didn't take lightly of our gesture. And my rep- response is always, we do what his- what's historically correct. And that was, hey, historically correct. <laughs> all right. This is all going to happen Sunday afternoon during Constitution Day. The parade starts at 2 o'clock, and then the president's probably coming down there a little bit after 2. If I might add, Felton, we actually give out the Colonel Lambert Award. And I t- said earlier that he was originator of the parade. And uh, this year is Joanne Hild, H-I-L-D. And she's from, not as well known as she should be because she's been responsible with Sierra Streams and for the Bear River and uh, Deer Creek River system to try to make them back uh, into the original shape as possible. And she's actually teaching at Sierra College campus here in uh, Grass Valley. And she's starting a program that will teach future leaders in that. And I, I think it's a stunning uh, selection we've done this year. And uh, we look forward to honor her this Sunday. Did you ever put up a website for the Famous Marching Presidents? Uh, the Famous Marching Presidents.org. Well, we'll see you all coming down Broad Street this Sunday afternoon. The Famous Marching Presidents on Constitution Day. We've been talking with David Sparky Parker. Thank you very much. That's our newscast for this Friday, September 15th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Green Acres Nursery and Supply, offering garden tips when planning fall gardens. Check irrigation, amend soil with organics, and start seeds. Garden gurus are on hand at each location. IDigGreenAcres.com And Four Paws Animal Clinic, 
Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions. On Searles Avenue, Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great weekend.